Amen. Well, this time, children, you are dismissed for Children's Church. Everyone else, take your Bibles and open with me to Daniel chapter 12. That's right, Daniel chapter 12. We have finally made our way to the end of the book of Daniel. And this morning, we're going to make our way through all of chapter 12. We're going to bring the book of Daniel to a conclusion as we make our way to the end of this study. Now, I don't know about you, but this has been a lot of fun for me in preaching. This has been a lot of fun for me in study. This has been a difficult book to go through. It has required much more study and much more preparation than a typical book in the Bible because of all the prophecy and all of the research that has to go into trying to figure out exactly what the prophetic word means and what it means for us today. And this morning, it's no different. Daniel chapter 12 ends on a great high note, but at the very same time, it is a prophetic word that is somewhat difficult for us to understand, especially as we get to the end and we try to discern some more numbers that the Lord gives Daniel before bringing the prophecy to an end. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to see like we have seen week in and week out, that God is sovereign forever and always. God is sovereign over all things. If you'll remember all the way back to the first chapter of the book of Daniel, we saw that God was sovereign in allowing the Babylonian Empire to come into Jerusalem and to take captive the people of Israel, including Daniel and his companions. And remember that God did that in order to allow Daniel and his companions and the Israelites to have a positive impact on the Babylonian people as well as allow Babylon to judge the nation of Israel for their sins. And in all that transpires from chapter 1 to chapter 12, the major theme of the book of Daniel is that God is sovereign. God is always completely and totally in control. Even when it doesn't feel like it, even when it doesn't seem like it, because God is doing things that we don't like, God is still sovereign. Amen? And that's what Daniel is trying to reiterate, re- reiterate, and that is exactly what we see here in the final chapter of the book of Daniel. Now, for context's sake, let me remind you of where we are at in Daniel chapter 10, 11, and 12. This has now come to the end, not of Daniel's life, but to the end of the book. And Daniel receives a prophecy that he's going to detail for us in chapter 11, starting in verse 2, that will end in chapter 12, verse 4. Before he gets into the prophetic word, he first of all sets the scene for us back in Daniel chapter 10. Remember, Daniel is there with some uh, people within the Persian Empire when he begins to receive this vision. The people that are with him cannot see what Daniel is seeing because Daniel has been sort of ushered in to a spiritual world that he's able to see things that others cannot. However, the, his companions that are with him, they don't know what's happening. They can't see it, but they feel the presence of God. They feel something strange. They don't know what's happening, but they do know that they need to leave. And so remember, all of those traveling with Daniel they run away and they hide as Daniel is now sort of looking into things that are taking place spiritually he sees angels he's communicating most likely with Gabriel and he sees Jesus the son of man clothed in linen hovering over the body of the Tigris river and then Daniel then receives the prophetic word that we get starting in chapter 11 taking us in verse 2 all the way through chapter 12 where we're going to end up 
and finish up this morning. And so all of that is taking place. And in the very end of the book, again, we see that God is sovereign. And we see it in two specific ways. So what we're going to do is we're going to pick up in chapter 12. As we read verses 1 through 4, notice the prophecy comes to an end. And then we'll pick up in verses 5 and following. We'll read through the end as Daniel has sort of a final conversation with Gabriel and Jesus there on the bank of the Tigris River. And so picking up in chapter 12, verse 1, the prophecy still continuing. Gabriel now speaking says to Daniel, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. The prophecy ends and then Daniel picks up in verse 5. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on the bank on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. And I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. But the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away, and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of of the days. Let's pray. Lord, again, we, like we do every week, we come before your word in humility. Lord, knowing that we need you in order for us to be able to understand exactly what this text means and, Lord, how we are to apply this text into our daily lives. And so, Lord, again, we ask for wisdom. We ask for discernment, that you would open our eyes to the truth of your word, that we would understand what can be understand understood. And Lord, that even like Daniel, we may have to say that we don't understand it all, but Lord, help us to understand what you would have us to get from this passage. And Lord, then help us to apply it into our lives for your glory and for your honor. So Lord, we surrender this time to you. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be glorified now as we walk through your word together. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.
Amen. Well, again, in the text, we're going to see two truths concerning God's sovereignty over all things. Number one, God is sovereign in bringing about the deliverance of his people. Let me say that again. God is sovereign in bringing about the deliverance of his people. Now, again, as we begin chapter 12, it is vitally important that we notice and remember that the prophecy has not come to an end until we get to verse 4. And so what we have at the beginning of chapter 12 is not only a word concerning the end of this prophecy, but these specific verses are talking about the end of all things, the end of history as we will know it. Thus, what we have is the beginning of the end, if you will. Notice verse 1 begins at that time. That time is speaking to the time that Daniel has just heard prophesied about, that Gabriel has just been mentioning, starting back in chapter 11, verse 36, all the way through the end of chapter 11 concerning the period of the great tribulation that will end with the great battle of Armageddon. All of this will take place in a time before Jesus returns. And when Jesus returns, he will put an end to all things. He will usher in eternal life and this world as we know it will be done away with the new heavens and new earth will come but this world this timeline if you will will come to its conclusion and what we have is that we see that this is going to be a time of incredible persecution and difficulty. Notice what it says in verse 1. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who is charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. I want you to think about the ramifications of that statement, and I want you to understand what that means about the tribulation that is to come. This world has seen some absolutely horrific moments in its history, right? Think about it. I mean, we can go all the way back to the flood. How could it get worse than the flood, right? When God literally wipes out mankind and civilization, all but eight people and two of every kind of species. We read of the, of the just atrocities that have taken place throughout the history of the earth. Some of us were introduced in the book of Daniel to Antiochus and how he just massacred 80,000 plus Israelites. We think of Hitler. We think of Stalin. We think of even what's going on in Ukraine at this moment. And we think of all the difficulties, all the wickedness that we have seen, that we've read about, that we've learned about since the foundation of the world and here's what the angel gabriel says to daniel there's going to be such wickedness difficulty and tribulation that has never been seen before in any nation since the foundations of the world it is going to be horrific it's going to be bad There is no reason to sugarcoat it. There's no reason to think that it won't be as bad as Scripture makes it out to be. No, no, no. It'll be worse than we can fathom and imagine. Now that sounds like a reason for us to panic. Sounds like a reason for us to lose hope, to lose faith, to be dismayed. But that's exactly why God tells this to Daniel. So we will not lose hope and lose faith and be dismayed. Amen? Because even during the darkest period in the history of the earth, there is still great hope and there is still a great promise. Amen? Now, notice the promises given, first of all, beginning again in verse 1. The first promise we see of this great hope is that we will not be fighting this fight alone. 
This is going to be more than we can handle on our own. Amen? And so God says, I'm going to send Michael, the great archangel, and he is going to fight on your behalf. The great prince of your people is going to do battle on your behalf so that you will not be the only ones who are waging war. God's going to go on the offensive, if you will. We actually read of this great battle to come in Revelation chapter 12, starting in verse 7. Now, war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon is his and his angels, they fought back. But he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his, of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have been conquered by him, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is, listen, short. Now notice the warning that this text ends with. The warning makes it clear that although the devil will be thrown down, although the devil will be defeated, it is still going to be a time of great tribulation. It's still going to be a time of great wrath. The, de- the devil is going to take out his wrath upon the people of God here on earth. But let me remind you that not only will we not fight this battle alone, but secondly, the great promise we have is that the battle has already been won. Amen? Listen, if God is for us, who can be against us? If we go through this great tribulation and what? We die for our faith? That's a win. Amen? We go to heaven. Truth be told, if you're there in the midst of the great tribulation, if Jesus comes back in my lifetime, if I have say in it, I'd rather die early and go to go into heaven. Right? I, I, don't, I don't care to fight the whole uh, fight for three and a half years. If it's up to me, I'm going to say, Lord, it's going to get bad. Take me to heaven now. I'm good. I'm not afraid to die i got heaven to look forward to, amen? And so not only is God going to send the angels to fight on our behalf, Michael and his legion, but we also see that the battle has already been won. Again, notice it in the text. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. The book, of course, is the book of life spoken of in Revelation 3, 5, and again in Revelation 20, verse 12 which includes, remember, all the names of those who have and will place their faith in Jesus Christ. So regardless of how difficult, regardless of how bad the tribulation may be, if your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life, you have nothing to worry about. It may get ugly, it may get bad, excuse me, it will get ugly, it will get bad. We may or may not be there. But what I know without doubt is that my name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. 
And the reason I know that is because I personally have come to the place in my life where I have confessed my sins to the Lord Jesus Christ. I've asked for his forgiveness. And I know without a doubt he has taken up residence in my life through the Holy Spirit. And I am doing my best to follow after Jesus in my life. I've believed, right? I've repented, I've believed, and I'm following Christ. Am I perfect? No. How do y'all know? Saying that like that, right? Oh, that's right, you know me, amen? We know we're not perfect. We know we don't follow Jesus perfectly, but we are living for Christ. And if you have that confidence because you've placed your faith in Jesus, then let me remind you the battle has already been won, amen? And we can rejoice in that. And one day God promises that he will deliver his people. Notice how he's going to deliver his people in verse 2. In many of those who have sleep in the dust of the earth. In other words, many of those who have died and who have been buried in the earth. They shall awake. They shall be resurrected. Some, notice, to everlasting life. And some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now, now pause there for a minute. Don't miss this. Eternity waits for everyone. There is eternity for everyone. Those who have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they will be resurrected to everlasting life. But those who reject Jesus, those who have said no to God's promise of the Messiah, they will be raised to everlasting shame and contempt. But eternity is for everyone. It's either eternal life with Christ or it's eternal shame and contempt with the devil and his demons who will be cast into hell for eternity, right? But don't, don't miss what verse 2 makes clear. Eternity will be for everyone. Many will put their faith and trust in Jesus and will have eternal life, but many will also reject Jesus and they will have eternal shame and contempt. But eternity is for everyone. Verse 3, we get a little more clarity on who eternal life is for. It is for those who are wise, they shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Notice two things in verse 3 that I think are really, really helpful. First of all, do you remember back, when we were going through the book of Genesis as a congregation in our Doctrine of Man series, and we began back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, when it says, In God, God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. And we talked about the importance of being created in the image of God. The thing that makes all mankind, regardless of race, creed, or nation, is that all mankind have been created in the image of God. Those who accept Jesus, those who have rejected Jesus, it doesn't matter. All of mankind have been created in the image of God. Amen? The problem is that in Genesis 3, sin entered in. And sin then marred... The image of God that we possess so that no longer when you look at me do you see God's image clearly. Now it's a little bit blurred. It's out of focus. There's got some dirt on it. Why? Because sin has, has sort, of, sort of messed up and blurred God's image in me. But there is a day coming when God will resurrect me and you to newness of life. We will receive our glorified body. No longer will sin dismay and blur out God's image. But we will shine like the brightness of the sky. In other words, we will reflect the glory of God clearly and perfectly. That's awesome. Amen? This whole 
journey that we have as believers is us being conformed into the image of Christ. In other words, us becoming more and more like God in our image. And one day, Christ is going to call us home and we will again bear the image of God in perfection because He has made us perfect. We will shine like the brightness of the skies. But notice what else we see in verse 3. Notice the emphasis on evangelism and missions. He says, those who have turned others to righteousness. In other words, those who have shared their faith with others. Those who have witnessed. Those who have shared the gospel. Those who have led someone to Jesus in salvation. They will shine like the brightest stars of heaven. Why? Because, listen, there's nothing that we can do that is more important than sharing the gospel message of Jesus Christ with those who need it. That's the pinnacle. That's what Jesus values. That's the mission he left us with. Amen? Don't forget, Jesus wants you to put your personal faith and trust in Jesus. Amen? And then once you've accepted Christ, the reason we don't drown you in the baptismal is because there's more life to live. Amen? And the life that we're to live, we're to live for Christ, accomplishing the one and only mission he gave to the church, which is to make disciples of all the nations of the earth. In other words, the only thing Jesus leaves us here for is to share the gospel, to make disciples. Everything else we do to simply survive in this life. We work to survive. We make money, we buy groceries, we buy gas for $5 a gallon, all to survive and to function in life. But all that we do, including work and going to the grocery store, should all be about us trying to share the gospel. Because that's what we're here for. Amen? If it wasn't the moment we said yes to Jesus, God would take us to heaven. But he leaves us here because he has a greater purpose for us than just the cares of this world. And notice that emphasis in verse 3. Those who turn others to righteousness will shine like stars forever and ever and ever for all of eternity. So even though the great tribulation is coming, remember that God is sovereign and he will bring about the deliverance of his people to eternal life in glory. Amen. God is sovereign in bringing about the deliverance of his people. And then secondly, God is sovereign in bringing about the completion of his plan. Now, when you get to verse 4, this is the final words of the prophecy. And here's what Gabriel says to Daniel in closing. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book. In other words, the prophecy is over. Complete your work and keep it. Don't let anything happen to it until the time of the end. Because many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Here's what the angel Gabriel says to Daniel. Daniel, the prophecies come to an end. Put your seal on the book so that everybody knows it's complete and hold on to it until the time of the end. In other words, protect it and keep it safe because here's why many people are going to run to and fro. They're going to search high and low. They're going to go to great lengths to gain knowledge concerning the end of times. Daniel, there's going to be many people who are going to spend hours pouring themselves into this prophetic word, trying to understand what it means concerning the end times. By the way, we're examples of that. Amen? 
We have gone to and fro. We have labored in the book of Daniel trying to figure out what it all means so that we can gain as much information and insight as we can. And notice what happens at the end of verse 4. Knowledge shall increase. I don't know about you, but I know way more now than I did when we started. I don't know it all, but I know a lot more than I did. Amen? What happened? We searched to and fro and knowledge increased. God's word came to fruition in verse 4. Isn't that cool? There's an example. God kept his promise. We dug deep. Our knowledge increased. We trust God in the little things. We certainly can trust God in the big things. And so here's what Daniel then realizes in verse 5. Verse 5, he's, he's, he's honed in. Like in verse 4, like he's, he's listening intently to Gabriel. He stopped focusing on what's going on around him. Then when the prophecy comes to an end, Daniel sort of looks up and realizes hey, there's still stuff going on around me. He sees an angel standing on this side of the bank of the river and another angel standing on the other side. And Jesus, the man clothed in linen, is still there hovering over the water. And all of a sudden, as he's watching what's going on, one angel, likely Gabriel, who's the one speaking in all of this, cries out to the one clothed in linen. He cries out to Jesus, the Son of Man. And notice what he asked him in verse 6. He says, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? In other words, how long will the tribulation last? Not how long is it going to be until it starts, but how long will it be until it's over? How long will these things last? And here's what Daniel says. And I heard the man clothed in linen in verse 7 who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand towards heaven. And he swore by him who lives forever, the Father, that it would be for a time times and half a time remember the word time speaks of an allotted time likely most of the time a year so a time one times two more that's three and half a time three and a half years i know i held up four but i meant to hold up like a half there so three and a half years right which corresponds to what daniel has already told us earlier in the book of daniel and what scripture as a whole tells us including what we read in revelation that the great tribulation the most significant horrible part of it will be that second half that three and a half year period but notice what else daniel says or the, the angel or excuse me the son of man jesus says to daniel in verses 7 as he's answering the angel he says it will be that it will be for a time, times and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things will be finished. That shattering of the power of the holy people that comes to an end, that will be the time when Israel, those who remain, will have had enough. They will come to their breaking point. And the remnant that has been reserved will finally turn and place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is also spoken of and prophesied about in Zechariah chapter 12, verses 10 through 14. One day, those who God has preserved will put their faith in Jesus Christ. And it will happen at the end of the age. And then notice what it says at the end of verse 7. Then all these things will be finished. In other words, God's salvation plan will have been accomplished. Satan will be defeated once and for all. And Jesus will usher in his eternal kingdom. What I want to remind you of is that God is bringing about the completion of his plan. 
It's not just happening. However, it happens to happen. God in his sovereignty is bringing about the completion of his plan. And we see that God has it all planned out. And we see that clearly in verse 7. Then all these things will be finished. And then we join with Daniel in verse 8. And we declare, I heard, but I did not fully understand. Amen. God, we've heard. We've been walking through this book since chapter 1. We've increased our knowledge thanks to you. But there's a lot we still don't quite understand. And so Daniel asked in verse 8, Oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? How's it all going to end? Give me more details, Lord. And the man clothed in linen, Jesus, said to Daniel in verse 9, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. In other words, here's what he says. He doesn't get on, Daniel. He doesn't say go away. That's not, that's not how we read that. It's not, it's not a go away or rebuke. It's, it's go on about your life, Daniel. You've received all that you can receive. You've been giving understanding in what you can understand. Everything else you're just going to have to leave in God's hand and trust in the sovereignty of God. Amen? He says, but as for now, just remember. And then he sort of summarizes what we're going to see take place during the tribulation period. So big picture summary is what you have noticed in verse 10. How, what's God going to do? Well, many are going to purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined during that time. Those who put their faith in Jesus, those who trust Jesus in the midst of that great period of tribulation, God's going to use that to further refine them and purify them. It's not going to be fun. It's going to be like gold put to the fire that gets melted. It won't be enjoyable But God will use it for his glory in our lives. And those who are alive and remain will be purified. The imperfections will rise to the top in the midst of that tribulation. And God will purify those and refine those even through fire during that time. So God's going to use it to purify the saints. However, notice what else we see in verse 10. The wicked are going to act wickedly. And none of the wicked are going to understand. But those who are wise shall understand. The wicked are going to do what the wicked do. They're going to keep rejecting the truth of the gospel. And they're not going to recognize and understand what's taking place around them. The wise, however, who've placed their faith and trust in Jesus, those who have labored in the book of Daniel, they're going to understand what's going on. They're going to see the writing on the wall, so to speak. They're going to see what God is up to in the big picture. They're going to see God's plan of salvation coming to a fruition, coming to an end. And their hope is going to be secure because their hope is going to be in Jesus. Amen? And then as the book comes to a close in verses 11 through 13, Jesus speaks the final words not only of the prophecy and of the conversation, but of the book of Daniel as a whole. Now, as we get to verses 11 through 12, 11 through 13, I I want you to understand this not only brings the book and conversation to a close, but it also brings in more questions than we're going to have answers to. And so notice what it says in verse 11. It says, And from that time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. Now let's just pause there for a minute. We know that Revelation makes this clear as well as the book of Daniel makes it clear that not only did Antiochus IV 
permit an abomination that makes desolate during his lifetime, but the Antichrist will also perform an abomination that makes desolate in the age to come, and that is going to stop worship. We actually read of that in Revelation, and we saw prophecy of it back in Daniel chapter 11, when the Antichrist will stop genuine worship of Jesus and all other gods for that matter, and he will perform the abomination of desolation. And what we see here is that 1,290 days after that is when all of this will come to a conclusion. Now, 1,290, if you do the math, is roughly three and a half years plus 30. Three and a half years, if you use 30-day months like the Israel, Israel, Israel counter did, it was, it's 1,260. So 1,290 is 1,260, three and a half years plus 30. Then you have 1,335, which is an additional 45 days. Who don't want to do math, right? An additional 45 days. And he says, blessed are those who wait until then. Now, what's going to happen 30 days after the tribulation ends? What's going to happen 45 days after that? Well, there's some guesses. There's some speculations. There's some things that I read that I thought were convincing. But here's what I know. I don't know. And no one else does. Amen? We don't know. Here's what's so cool. Remember that when you got into the first part of chapter 11 and we saw those prophecies, we got to look back on history and see the details. Right? But now we're looking into our future. We can't see the details. We don't, we don't know exactly what these days mean and what they're going to correspond to. But here's what I find very, very comforting. God not only knows what they mean, but God has it all worked out so that everything will happen according to his perfect time and plan. And after going 12 chapters through the book of Daniel, I'm going to trust in God's sovereignty. Amen? And I'm going to take comfort in the fact that God is going to bring about the end of his salvation plan. And he's going to do it according to his perfect time. So what then are we supposed to do moving forward? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look with me now in verse 13 as we bring this to a close. But go your way till the end. And you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Here's what God says to Daniel. Go on about your life and mission until Christ returns. Then you can rest. Amen? What are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to sit back and, and be worried and be afraid and, and be scared of what's to come? No. We're to go on about our life. We're to go on fulfilling the mission of God in making disciples of all the nations. And we're to keep doing that faithfully. We're to keep doing that above all other things. We're fulfilling the mission of God. Until Christ returns or until we die, then we get to rest. Amen? Go on about your mission. Go on making disciples. Go on turning others to righteous so that you can shine like a star in heaven. Amen? Go on fulfilling God's mission for your life. And you know when you get to rest, when Christ returns, or when you die. 
Then you'll get to rest. And then when Christ returns, you'll get to stand in your place during the allotted time. You'll get to stand with other believers who have faithfully served the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll get to stand with the saints. You'll get to worship with the angels. You will be in the eternal kingdom of God. Amen. And so what do we do? We keep doing what God's called us to do. And we do it until Christ returns. Will you pray with me? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want, I want to ask you two quick things. Number one, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? You see, in the end, there will be either eternal life or there will be eternal death, shame, and condemnation. There is eternity for everyone. Eternal life is for those who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God who was sent to this earth to die on the cross to pay for our sins and that by putting their faith and trust in who Jesus is and what He did, their sins would be forgiven and they would follow Jesus with their lives. Those who have trusted Jesus will be raised to newness of life and to eternal life. But those who say no to Jesus will be raised to eternal shame and contempt. If you're here this morning and you've never given your heart and life to Jesus Christ, then I want to encourage you. God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his very son to die on your behalf so that he could have a personal relationship with you. And with everybody's head bowed and everybody's eyes closed, if you feel God speaking into your heart, if God is moving inside of you, even as I speak, let me remind you that that is God speaking to you because He loves you and because He desires a relationship with you. He is calling you unto Himself. Let me encourage you to say yes to God. In just a few moments, we're going to stand to sing our hymn of invitation. And if God is speaking into your heart about your salvation, I'll be here waiting to receive you. Just simply come and say, Will, I want to give my life to Christ. Maybe you're too nervous to come down in front of us. And so maybe you want to come and find me afterwards and say the same thing. Will, I want to talk about giving my life to Christ. If God is speaking, please answer his call. Secondly, believers, let me ask you this. Are you fulfilling the mission of God in your life? Nothing else matters but what we do for Jesus after we've given our life to Him. Let me encourage you, believers, fulfill the mission of God until either Christ returns or until you die. Then you can rest. Then you can take your rightful place in his eternal kingdom. But until then, let's fulfill the mission of God in our lives. Maybe you're being convicted because you haven't been doing that. This altar is open. I would love to pray with you. You can pray where you're at. You can pray at this altar. But as God is moving, let's respond to him now in faith and in obedience. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we thank you for all that you are doing in our hearts and our lives in this moment. Lord, we surrender this time of invitation to you. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that your will be done as we follow you. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.